I'd like to start this morning by telling you the story of Lauren Olamina. Lauren lives with her family in Robledo, California. Her father is a Baptist preacher and her biological mother died a few years ago, a victim of a drug use epidemic affecting people without regard to social status. Lauren's brain was changed by her mother's drug use and so she shares pain with people. When she's around somebody who's feeling pain, then she feels that person's pain. And this can cripple her at times if somebody is in intense pain. The country that she lives in, the United States of America, is falling apart at the seams. Guns are a fact of life. The police are unreliable at best and actively harmful at worst. Climate change is having a dramatic effect on people's ability to survive and thrive. Travel between states is difficult and fraught with a lot of concern. More and more people live in gated communities and inequality is stark and growing. A new president has been elected on the platform Make America Great Again. Lorne is the author of the poems that we read today the earth sea verses. They are for her a new religion in which God is change. Lorne, like many of us, has found her father's religion wanting. Although she still has a lot of respect for it, it no longer works for her. The world that she lives in is very volatile. And her revelation is that in a volatile and out of control world, People need to find out what they have agency to do and then do it. Because change is so prevalent, people need to shape change. The only God that Lauren can recognize is change. And in shaping change, she seeks to shape God. Lauren is a fictional character. The protagonists of the books, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. These are books by Octavia Butler. Butler was a science fiction author and wrote Parable of the Sower in 1993, 30 years ago, and set it in 2024, next year. It is scarily accurate down to a president with the slogan, Make America Great Again. We are in better shape as a country than Lauren's America in 2023, but in all, all aspects of her novel are true in one way or another about the society we live in. And they're much more, much more true now than, than they were in 1993. I'm rereading these books now. I'm halfway through the second one. And the parallels are, are incredible, especially about far-right Christian nationalism, something that is resurgent in our society and is very active in these books. Butler is a unique voice in American literature, not just because in these books she predicted the future so compellingly, but also because as an African-American woman writing science fiction, she created space for a new group of authors who are often grouped together under the name Afrofuturism. The most notable of these is N.K. Jemisin, who wrote the Broken Earth Trilogy, 
the first trilogy to win Hugo Awards for Best Science Fiction Novel for each of its volumes. She did this in three consecutive years, an incredible accomplishment. But beyond fiction, Butler has, has also influenced another group of writers, thinking about how groups come together and make decisions, how organizations form, how to change society, and how to hold those who do harm accountable. These writers can be grouped under the name Emergent Strategy. They include my favorite, Alexis Pauline Gums, and Adrienne Marie Brown, who wrote the book called Emergent Strategy. Both Gums and Brown named Butler as central to their own writing and thinking. They recognized something in Butler that Butler herself sought to do with the Earthseed books, to deliberately reflect on how humans come together, particularly in difficult times. There is currently no thinker more important to me than Alexis Pauline Gums. I have read from her book in the Emergent Strategy series, Undrowned, Black Feminist Lessons for Marine Mammals, to many of you in meetings and groups that we've been a part of. I don't imagine that I'll stop doing this anytime soon. It's entirely predictable that I, someone who is learning how to be anti-racist, who has always identified as a feminist, who has looked for lessons in nature throughout my life, would love a book called Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals. But I also love this book because I feel loved by this book. Gums again and again expresses her love for her readers in the book. I don't always feel included when I read books designed to challenge me on racism or capitalism or justice, but I feel deeply included when I read Undrowned. And when I met her this winter in Ann Arbor, she personally reiterated this sentiment to me when I told her how valuable it was for me to hear it. I want to read from her book, this invitation. This book is for you, also known as everyone who knows that a world where queer, black, feminine folks are living their most abundant, expressed, and loving lives is a world where everyone is free. I wrote this with you in mind, dreamers that live near the shore and wonder about the whale bones you find. I wrote this with you in mind, those of you lobbying at the United Nations about deep ocean ecology and what it takes to honor it. And you, the ones who can't keep crying when you read the daily news. And you, the ones who feel cut off from nature. And you, the people who prioritize nature in your lives. And us, the people who are anxious about the climate crisis. Us, the people who take long social media fasts and want peace. Yes, you and me, the ones who thought our practice of looking at pictures of marine mammals was completely separate from our economic justice work. This is for all of us. You are on my mind and my heart. When I think of what I want to invite people to in a believing community, this is exactly it. I want a very open, very welcoming invitation like this book is for you. And I want a community that believes in abundance and flourishing and justice for all. 
also known as everyone who knows that a world where queer black feminine folks are living their most abundant, expressed, and loving lives, a world where everyone is free. I think that there are real similarities to Anabaptism in this invitation. Our practice of adult baptism is voluntary. Everyone is invited, no one is coerced. But baptism and belonging to our communities also comes, at least historically, with some significant commitments to pacifism, community and mutual aid, following Jesus in word and life. It's also very predictable that I would love emergent strategy. Although like many things that people tell us to do, it took me a little while for me to read this after it was first recommended to me. It shouldn't have, because again, this book is based on a lot of things that I already love. There is a lot of reflection on nature. The cover to the bulletin today and the explanations of the fern murmuration and um, dandelion are all from the book. And there is a lot of focus on imagination rooted in science fiction, my favorite genre. The subtitle of the book is Shaping Change, Changing Worlds. You can see the very deliberate connection to Octavia Butler in that subtitle. And there is a lot of attention to how a community comes together and sustains itself, looking for flourishing for all of its members and seeking peace and justice. And again, this really resonates for me with Anabaptism. I'm gonna spend the rest of my time this morning reviewing some of the elements of emergent strategy and connecting them to Anabaptism, following our children's story. So we'll start with the fern. Brown suggests that organizations should resemble themselves at every level of organization. She says, so many of our organizations working for social change are structured in ways that reflect the status quo. We have singular charismatic leaders, top-down structures, money-driven programs, destructive methods of engaging conflict, unsustainable work cultures, and little to no impact on the issues at hand. This makes sense. It's the water we're swimming in, but it creates patterns. Some of the patterns I've seen that start small and then become movement-wide are burnout, overwork, underpay, unrealistic expectations, Organizational and movement splitting. Personal drama disrupting movements. Mission drift, specifically in the direction of money. Stagnation, an inability to make decisions. These patterns emerge at the local, regional, state, and national, and global level. Basically, wherever two or more social agents, basically wherever two or more social change agents are gathered. There's so much awareness around it and some beautiful, beautiful work happening to shift organizational cultures. And this may be the most important element to understand, that what we practice at the small scale sets the patterns for the whole system. Brown doesn't talk about a flat structure, a favorite term of ours here at Shalom, or a priesthood of all believers, as Anabaptists did, but again, there are many obvious resonances. There's a strong anti-clerical streak in Anabaptism and here at Shalom. We do not seek to follow the status quo. 
we often seek to be different. A key insight for me in thinking about how the small scale connects to um, the whole system is the focus that Brown brings in terms of sustainability. Small organizations can struggle with sustainable ways of functioning. As we think about how to engage more volunteers to do our work at Shalom, we do well to consider this. Okay, on to the Starling murmuration. Another of Brown's elements of emergent strategy that resonates here is being interconnected and decentralized. She approvingly quotes Grace Lee Boggs, building community is to the collective as spiritual practice is to the individual. This is a point for Brown where faith explicitly enters, and she spends a few pages in the book talking about faith at this point. While she doesn't outline a particular faith commitment, emergent strategy is not a secular project. Rather than foregrounding belief, Brown and Gums both emphasize the importance of practice, of regularly focusing our mind and attention in mediation with the purpose of keeping ourselves grounded. Mediation is not a big part of our worship services, but other practices like hymn singing, sharing, listening, and praying are. And I think if it's useful to think about religion on a continuum between doctrine on one side and practice on the other, Anabaptists probably do fall more on the practice side. Our worship service today has been developed with this kind of talking chunk and four kind of hymns that are close to the center of our Anabaptist hymn singing um, practice. The final element, the dandelion, is a focus on resilience and transformative justice. Brown talks about transformative justice this way. Transformative justice in the context of emergent strategy asks us to consider how to transform toxic energy, hurt, legitimate pain and conflict into solutions, to get under the wrong, find a way to coexist, be energy moving towards life together. While we often put our attention on the state and demand transformative and restorative justice, it's important that individuals begin practicing in our personal, familial, and communal lives. We can reach the people we need to reach and measure our work by the way the relationships feel. It is hard work, but it is accessible to anyone, anywhere, at any scale. Eventually, transformative practices that begin small will demand new societal structures. I suspect that we can't back into this, demanding that our government provide a form of justice that even we in our movements do not know how to practice in real time. Our commitment to pacifism at Shalom is like this. We don't know exactly how to practice it in real time, but it is nonetheless important to us. It imagines a new world, and it seeks to heal conflict at the root cause. It's something that our congregation works at through our connection to the Friends of Restorative Justice of Washtenaw County and other initiatives. It's a kind of approach to justice that does intend to leave no person behind including the person who does harm. This shows up in emergent strategy 
Um, this shows up less in emergent strategy, but in the work on community accountability done by other black women, like Marian Kaba. But both of these spaces are interested in thinking through what it means to include harm doers in communities. At its best, the ban that conservative Anabaptists practice and some of our ideas about membership can be this kind of commitment, a commitment to including everyone and finding out the ways to think about consequences for people who do harm, but yet not cutting them off from our communities. So I wanna thank you for listening to me make some connections between a bunch of black feminists and Anabaptism. And in closing, I wanna say a few things that I don't mean to have preached this morning. While there is a lot of similarity between these ways of thinking, I don't think that there's a genealogy that connects them. These ways of thinking arose at different times among different groups of people, and one is not dependent on each other. These ideas occurred in Anabaptism first, 500 years ago, but that doesn't mean that we have any kind of priority um, on them. Emergent strategy also has some different things, some things that aren't in Anabaptism. There's a significant focus in emergent strategy on pleasure and adapting towards pleasure. No one has ever accused Anabaptists of being too focused on pleasure. I'm also not saying that because we have ideas and similarity with these, that we don't need to kind of learn from black feminists, Afrofuturists, and emergent strategy practitioners. On the contrary, I think we have everything to learn by paying attention to these ideas because we have some version of them in our communities already. Amen. Oh, one other thing that I was gonna say. Um, I, I also don't think that the Ersteed verses in Butler are scripture or a new scripture. I'm not seeking to replace scripture with those ideas. I don't think that Brown or Gums think that, um, although I know that some people do think that, that this is a new religion that can be practiced. Um, and I just wanna be clear that I'm not saying that we should um, stop being Anabaptist and become emergent strategy or become Ersteed. Although I think that there are things to learn there. So that's a beautifully, um, spectacularly horrible conclusion to an otherwise okay sermon. Um, <laughs> amen.